morning we're continuing the series on the life of Joseph uh, called Living the Dream. Um, I don't know if you were here the last couple of weeks as we were looking at the life of Joseph. This week we're coming to chapter 39 and we want to look at some of the things that goes on in the life of Joseph in this chapter. I don't know if you remember when you first went to school. Does anybody remember the first day at school? For some of you, that might be a long time ago. Apparently, my parents told me that when I was four years old and off to school, I was so enthusiastic that I jumped out of the front door and ran to get in the car. Of course, at that age, I didn't know that there was 14 years of education ahead of me and what the exams that I would have to go through and all the things that I would would be entailed in school. I, of course, was not in such a difficult situation as some people going to school. And Joseph, in chapter 39, is what I believe is going to be put through God's school. You see, as we saw in the life of Joseph earlier, in chapter 37, he's a 17-year-old. He's quite arrogant, proud of himself. He sees this dream. If you can imagine, he says to his brothers, this is what's going to happen. You're going to all bow down and worship me. So his brothers, of course, are really annoyed about this and very fed up. And as we saw in the story, they sell him off into the land of Egypt because they're very, uh, they just want rid of him. Some of them were so angry they wanted to kill him. So Joseph's whole life has been taken away from him and he's taken off into the land of Egypt. And so we want to pick up this now in chapter 39. So if you want to turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 39, It's on page 43 of the Pew Bibles. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was in everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went to the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, 
she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has, brought, has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought, uh, brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. The story in chapter 39 splits into three parts. There are three stories um, that are happening here, or three incidents in the life of Joseph. He's sold into slavery, and he comes down into Egypt, and he's immediately uh, given as a slave, sold as a slave into one of the Egyptian houses. But this isn't any house. He could have ended up in, in any particular Egyptian's house. He ends up in the house of Potiphar, who is the chief, the captain of the guard, now, this could either be he's the chief executioner or he's the head of Pharaoh's secret police. So he's a very, very senior official in Egypt and in Pharaoh's kingdom. And Joseph finds himself in this place. And God, in a sense, has been guiding Joseph and put him in this place despite the tragedy that's happened to him. He quickly rises up in, the, in authority within this household. He's given position Potiphar realizes very quickly that he has got particular skills that he can use in his household to help him. And so he puts Joseph in charge of everything within his household. And by verse 6, he's basically in control of all of the household. That's a quick rise for a slave. And it's interesting, Potiphar, the word Potiphar means the one who Ra has given. Ra was an Egyptian sun god. And in this verse, it's contrasting the fact that this Potiphar, the one that Ra has given, sees that the Lord God, the God of Joseph, is with him, not one of his gods. Um, it can't even be identified as the God of Israel at the time, but the God of Joseph is with him. And so he sees there's something powerful with this man, and so he wants to put him in charge of his household. Joseph is learning skills within this. He might have thought he's in a very difficult time. He's lost everything from his previous life. He's lost his family. He's been betrayed by his brothers. He never knows if he's going to see them again. He might be thinking, Lord, you told me this dream. You told me what was going to happen. You told me I was going to be this powerful figure. Look, I'm this slave in this household of the Egyptians. But slowly he's learning things. He's learning to be an organizer, a manager, a leader. He's trusted He's faithful, he served, and he knew how to work under someone, and he didn't try to take the top position. Of course, he was a slave, so if he tried to do anything, if he tried to rebel immediately, he could have been killed. So his life is getting pretty good. For a slave now, by the first six, his life is pretty good. He's been put in a high position of trust, 
and he's able to do a lot and he's able to run the household effectively. So much so that Potiphar just says, okay, I don't need to concern myself with this. But life is about to get more difficult for Joseph. He's about to get thrown uh, into a real difficult situation where there really isn't an easy way out for him. This is the story of Potiphar's wife. We don't know a lot about Potiphar's wife. Her name isn't even given in the story. There's a sort of hint that she was either bored or that she she didn't have enough in her life. And so she starts looking at Joseph and, and scripture says that he was a particularly handsome young man. And so she tries to tempt him to come and sleep with her. Potiphar is probably away a lot of the time, either because he knows and trusts that Joseph is in control of his household, or he uh, is off in the affairs of state because he's got this high position within the land. And so there's a lot of opportunity for Potiphar's wife to manipulate the situation as she wants to control Joseph. And she basically gives him an open invitation. This is open if you want it. And Joseph keeps saying no. Finally, she gets desperate and basically tries to completely manipulate the situation where he will have to give in. She clears out the household so there's no other slaves around and she basically says, come lie with me. Joseph, thankfully for him and for later in the story for Israel, isn't going to give in to this temptation and he runs out of the house. The Bible says that he left his robe in Potiphar's wife's hand the robe is something maybe akin to a large t-shirt in that time. When I first was reading this years ago, I wondered, how did the robe, if he was all wrapped up, how did this all end up in Potiphar's wife's hand? But he's basically had this large robe, all-encompassing like t-shirt-like garment, and Potiphar's wife was able to pull that off. So basically, Joseph has nothing left, and he's running out naked. But thankfully, he gets out of that situation. He could have given in. He could have said, well, I've tried everything I wanted to. I just have to do it because she's my boss's wife. If he had done that, he would have, his life would have been in danger. The moment Potiphar's wife had got bored of him, I think his life would have been forfeit. However, he hasn't taken the easy way out in a certain sense because Potiphar's wife isn't finished with him. Now that he, he has rejected her advances, he wants to manipulate the situation. She's been humiliated, but she wants to get Joseph back. And she sees that she can twist the situation around to get Potiphar, her husband, to basically kill Joseph. He's the chief executioner. Why, you know, For him, killing somebody else is going to be not a big deal. And she so twists the situation around to try and force her husband to take action. Potiphar comes back into the house and she starts building this whole story. Look, this Hebrew, she uses the racial slur. She's trying to put him down immediately. Look what he's done. Look, his garment's in my hand. Look, he tried to sleep with me, but I screamed and so he fled. Look what he was about to do. So trying to force Potiphar into the conclusion, well, there's nothing else I can do. I'm going to have to kill uh, Joseph. But it's interesting in verse, um, verse 19 it says, This is how your slave treated me. And Potiphar's anger burned with, he burned with anger. It's not clear actually if Potiphar was burning with anger with his wife or with Joseph. There's a subtle hint that he was actually angry at his wife. Because 
Potiphar maybe doesn't believe his wife. For Potiphar to kill Joseph would have been absolutely nothing. He's just a slave. He's just another human being. doesn't matter. I can get another slave tomorrow. But he puts Joseph in prison. It's probably the least that Potiphar could have done without him losing face and without making his wife lose face in public. And so there's a sense that maybe Potiphar doesn't actually believe his wife. And he's angry because he knows he has to do something and he's going to lose this great manager that he has. But he has to do it because otherwise he's going to lose face and his wife is going to lose face. And so Potiphar's wife has tried as much as possible to crush Joseph and to manipulate him and to manipulate the situation. And Joseph gets punished. He gets put in prison, but much worse could have happened to him. So the third part of the story is then Joseph is in prison. And he must have been wondering, you know, this injustice I haven't done anything wrong. And maybe he was sitting in prison going, Lord, I didn't sin. I didn't take the easy option. Lord, you promised me these things back in Israel, but in Judah, but I'm in jail again. What's going on? And yet again, we see this picture where Joseph rises to prominence within the prison. And very quickly, the prison warden realized that Joseph had organizational talents and he was put in charge of all the prisoners. I suspect that Potiphar had a hand in this. See, if Potiphar is the chief executioner or the head of the secret police, something like this is not going to happen in the king's prison without his say-so. He is not going to allow somebody to rise to this level of authority um, if he hasn't said okay to it. So I suspect that Potiphar, although he's had to take this action and publicly put Joseph in prison, He's also quite favored towards Joseph and is allowing this or is allowing him to rise up in position and authority in the prison. So his life is not so difficult within the prison. Joseph again is learning tasks of being an organizer, being a manager, managing people, taking responsibility for things in the midst of this prison. These are skills that he's going to need later on when the famine comes in Egypt. And God is using this situation to teach him these things slowly that he is going to have to take on responsibility for it much later. If he doesn't pass this test in God's school, he's not going to be able to do things later on. But I leave some of the things that Joseph is learning are much deeper than this. He's not just learning to be a manager. He's not just learning to be... Uh, leader. He's not just learning to be someone who organizes things. He's been taken by God as this arrogant 17-year-old, and his character has been molded through this very difficult circumstances. God chose this way of suffering for Joseph. He chooses other things for other people, but in Joseph's case, he's chosen this school of suffering. Leo Tolstoy, the Russian author, said these words. It is by those who have suffered that the world has been advanced. Joseph is going through a lot of suffering at this point. And he is probably wondering lots of questions. Why God? What's going on? Is my future going to be this Egyptian prison? What's happening? He's also dealing with issues of injustice. He's been very cruelly treated by his brothers, by Potiphar's wife. He's been betrayed by his brothers. He's again been betrayed by Potiphar's wife. I'm sure he's dealing with issues of bitterness. 
hatred, loss of position, and falsehoods that have been talked about him when he has no defense to say anything about it. And he has to sit in prison knowing that this has been done to him. He's not even sure if he would die. He's not sure whether he would have lived after his brothers had wanted to do him in. And when Potiphar's wife started accusing him, Potiphar could easily have killed him. So he's had to live through a lot of suffering. Is the dream dead? Is he going to be living this dream anymore? Or is this the end in Joseph's story? The things that I believe God is teaching Joseph in this situation are much deeper. He wants to, he has to learn forgiveness. He has to learn love. He has to learn mercy, generosity, servanthood, faithfulness, and humility. Those things can't be learnt in ease or comfort. The school is maybe harsh, but it is a way that God wants to build those things into his character. If he doesn't learn those things, the consequences are big for Israel. If he had slept with Potiphar's wife and been executed, he won't be around to provide in the famine. If he doesn't learn forgiveness, if he doesn't learn humility, if he doesn't learn mercy, he's going to have to deal with a situation where Egypt is starving, where the nations around are starving, and he will have to be fair to people, and he will have to make very hard decisions. And if he is not going to be able to learn in God's school for him, he is not going to be the worker that we see later on in the story to do those things for God. He's not going to be able to save Egypt. He's not going to be able to save his own family. This is critical for the survival of the nation of Israel. But because Joseph learns these lessons, God raises him up very quickly, two years after prison, to be in a position of great authority within the land of Egypt. This Hebrew slave who Potiphar's wife was putting down as a racial, with a racial slur is going to be raised up to be one of the greatest leaders in Egypt because he learns those lessons in the hard school that God wants to put him through. If he can't learn forgiveness, if he can't learn to forgive Potiphar's wife, how is he going to forgive his brothers? When he sees his brothers 20-odd years after they sent him off into slavery in Egypt, he's going to have to forgive them. He's now this great ruler in the land, and he could order them executed, put in prison, whatever he wanted. Pharaoh would not have denied it to him. And he will have to learn forgiveness, and he will have to learn that I am able to forgive in this situation and restore my brothers and my relationship with my brothers and be reconciled to them. One of the questions I struggled with in my life is a question, how do you forgive someone who's not willing to ask forgiveness? See, it's easy to forgive somebody who asks forgiveness, or it's easy to forgive somebody who admits fault. But for me, the question, how do I forgive someone who is not willing to ask forgiveness, is something I struggled with. Particularly for me, in the situation of seeing politicians who represented certain terrorist groups within Northern Ireland being now leaders in our political system. For me, they'd never asked forgiveness for some of the things they did. A few years ago, I was really struggling with this question. And I was down in retreat, and uh, Stephen Adams has a house down in the south coast of Northern Ireland that he lent to me for a few days. And I was really struggling with this. And 
I'd been praying about this for a few years, and I really struggled to forgive. And the Lord said, they have never asked forgiveness for what they've done. And Stephen had a video there, The Hiding Place, which is the story of Corrie ten Boom, a Dutch lady who was in a prison camp in the German, in the, in the German prison camps. And I watched that video, and it came to a point in the movie where the prison guard is beating Corrie's sister, Betty, Betsy. And Corrie wants to defend her sister, and Corrie wants to, uh, to do something to these prison guards. And Betsy goes to her, no hate, Corrie. And Betsy died in that prison camp, and Corrie had to forgive the prison guards who did this to her sister. And I realized that the Lord was speaking to me about the same issue. Because Corrie Kemboom came out with these words. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with the command, the love itself. See, Jesus himself, God himself, gives us the power to be able to forgive. It's not anything in ourselves that enable us to forgive people. And what Corrie ten Boom learned in the Nazi labor camp, God had to speak to me about again and said, Trevor, you can't forgive them, but I can give you the power to forgive them. If you're trying to get, forgive them out of yourself, you won't be able to do it. And so I had to fall on my knees and pray and say, Lord, give me the power to be able to forgive those who have not asked forgiveness. And God had to take me through that school. And there were actually going to be some other hard lessons later in my life where I was going to have to forgive people as well. And God wanted to teach me that lesson in the situation that I was struggling with that question because I had to learn to forgive. Maybe you find it hard to forgive people. Maybe you find it very easy. I don't know. But if anything, and you're struggling with forgiveness, you are able to call on God to be able to ask forgiveness. Because it is the Lord God who gives the power. The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to be able to forgive, to be able to give that love. Because forgiveness is not something of the world, but forgiveness is of God. And it is a command to Christians to be able to forgive and to say, I hurt, I struggle, this was wrong, this was an injustice. But I am able to forgive, not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is. Joseph had to learn this lesson. He's put in the school of God, in prison, in slavery, because he's going to have to come back and he's going to have to come through his, to his brothers much later in the story and say, what you did to me was done for evil, but God did it for good. He learned to forgive. So Joseph did he get grade A's in everything God wanted him to do in school? I don't know. But certainly the testimony, as we'll see later on, as Joseph 
moves, uh, move, move into the Joseph story and living the dream. Joseph has learned a lot, and God has built character into this, this man so that when he's put in position, he's able to do the things for God. It wasn't easy. It was a lot of suffering. It wasn't an easy time in Joseph's life in chapter 39. But God built him and built character in his life. And so for us, maybe when we are going through very difficult times, we want to run away from it. We want to go, no, this hurts. I don't want to be in it. But the things we learn in suffering are often some of the greatest things that God wants to do in our lives. So I want to encourage us this morning, if you are struggling, if you are suffering with things, if you are suffering injustice for the kingdom of God, if you have stood up for righteousness in certain situations and other people are manipulating the situation against you, you need to trust in God and not take on the tactics of the world. That may pay, you may pay a great cost for that, but standing up for God's ways and standing up for the kingdom of God, running out of temptation, even if you lose your clothes like Joseph did, is the way of God. It may not be the way of this world, but God will honor that and God will use you in situations in other people's lives. He may not raise you up to be a great leader in Egypt, but he will use you to influence this world for the kingdom of God. People who are broken before God, people who are broken in the school of God, can be used greatly for the kingdom. But those who don't learn the lessons, God has to keep bringing them back, or maybe he has to find other people to use for his glory. But those who learn are taken on by God to be used greatly for influencing this world for the kingdom. So, chapter 39 teaches us it might be difficult, but God can use us if we are molded by him for his glory. Thank you, Trevor.